Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. Uh, today, uh, Chris has opted to uh, sit this one out, and uh, we're we're bringing in a ringer uh, to talk about uh, a fairly popular series over here, really popular in Japan, uh, Madoka Magica. Uh, so we have Una. Yeah, co-host is dead. Long live the co-host. <laughs> Uh, so, Madoka Magica is a magical girl series, um, and it is uh, way deeper than you expect it to be when you first start watching it. And actually, the reason that Chris opted out of this one is because he watched the first two episodes of the sh- of the show, uh, which is like right before it turns and goes like sicko mode. <laughs> so, um, so he thought he'd be the lost. Drop. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's start by just giving our impressions of like the basic elements of the show. Like, uh, we'll start with animation. Uh, for me, I-, I think the animation in the show is like completely insane. <laughs> like, uh, mainly the scenes with like the witches and stuff. It's just, I don't even know how to describe the art style because I'm like kind of a rube with art. In general, but uh, um, so if I recall correctly, because uh-huh. a lot of obviously, uh, as I'm sure we'll get into more later, a lot of it's very uh, Germanic inspired. So it's supposed mm-hmm. to kind of be like a uh, kind of like a puppet show. Okay, <laughs> with the witches, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so it uses a lot of like uh, what do you call it? like cutouts. And yeah, it kind of looks like paper cutouts. Yeah, sometimes actual puppets, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, and um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's very strange looking. It makes it really interesting to look at. Like, uh, I think I started watching the show, and I was sort of half paying attention, and then I looked up, and there was this like really weird looking witch stuff happening, and that that's what initially grabbed my attention. Um, and, uh, I mean, the series gets crazy later on and we'll really pull you in. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, for me, the best part of the animation is actually the, the color palette. Like, uh, they use colors really effectively. So like ordinary landscapes, just like, you know, parks or, um, like forests or sunsets, they look, they, they look magical because of their color choices and, uh, the way they, I guess the way they uh, animate light as well helps that and uh, another part of the color palette is like it uh, kind of is a stand-in for well not a stand-in but it, it, it helps denote like who's a good or evil character um, the witches have like their own separate color palette that looks kind of disturbing compared to the magical girls um so I thought that was a really uh, great part of it. And I also think that uh, they do a great job of blending like a, a lot of different styles. There are some like uh, still shots where they use a, like a different, uh, different drawing style and it makes it look uh, more like a, I don't know, like a Sumi painting or something like that. Um, oh yeah. It's like classic cinematography, you know? Yeah. Uh, the color shading for, 
introducing characters and tones and stuff. Uh, they really drew attention to it in Rebellion Story when, um, oh God, what's her fucking name? Um, the the dark haired girl. Uh, the dark haired girl. The Homura, main character uh, when, when Homura, of the entire show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't memorize characters' names, okay? <laughs> uh, when when Homura turns into when she starts turning into a demon, they they specifically remark that like her colors look really um, like kind of evil or dark or something like that, and um, they were associating it really strongly with like the particular emotion that she was feeling. Um, so they kind of like make it explicit. Uh, by their own writing in the show. Yes. Which, uh, obviously rebellion story, that's more important, uh, because it is more just about kind of Homura's uh, mental state the whole fucking time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Real shit. I'll be honest. I had a, I had kind of a hard time following the movie. Um, I was sort of doing other stuff, it, uh, so and it's also crazy. <laughs> a lot of people actually didn't like it because, like, two thirds through, there's just this kind of exposition dump just to explain what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but given that the entire show is kind of like about the mechanics of the system, it more or less makes sense because you can't really emotionally convey that (laughs) (laughs) despite efforts otherwise uh so just to get through the other uh aspects of it uh music pretty good nothing like notable i don't think uh uh, there is the fact that all the lyrics are actually in a completely made-up language. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you can kind of understand a bit of it if you can speak German, but it's not, like, actually German. Okay. I was uh, I was watching Evangelion this morning, and uh, I was laughing at Asuka's German. It sounds very funny. <laughs> Because she's supposed to be an actual German character right. or whatever, and she's got a thick-ass <laughs> Japanese accent. <laughs> Obviously, maybe it was just that. Japanese, but she moved to Germany. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I don't know. I don't but she supposedly thinks in German natively, so. <laughs> right. No, it's uh. No, because like you get a lot of German speakers who will listen to the soundtrack and be like, "Oh, like even I never thought that German could be such a beautiful language." Like, but it's it's like specifically <laughs> like an offshoot of German to sound better. <laughs> Though, like I don't know, German is more beautiful than people give it credit for. I'll have to listen closely to it. Yeah, try harder, pleb. <laughs> uh. So the characters, I think, are a really strong aspect of it because they focus, like, on just, what, like, six or eight characters uh, through the show. Yeah. And well, they have a lot of different iterations of, of them. Uh, what's it, uh, you ever seen a uh, Monogatari series? I have not, no. Well, the, uh, the show specifically, I believe. I haven't really read, like, the manga or LN for it, but... 
the animation's all very focused on like because it's a character story, so mm-hmm. background characters and whatnot don't really exist. Okay. Which you get sort of the same thing in uh, Madoka Magica, but it's even more obvious because like in the beginning you'll see like background characters. You know, like other students in the school and whatnot, but as the story mm-hmm. progresses, there's just fucking nobody else there. Yeah. It's only when it's extremely relevant, like to show, oh, we're in a crowd or whatever. Which is, right. uh, I would say, very interesting for a Magical Girl series because normally, you know, it's all about, you gotta save the people, and protect them, <laughs> and whatnot, but like they don't even exist. They're in the, uh, the Ashura realm. As well, I understand later. this reference. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think the characters are a really strong aspect of this. Um, I mean, the whole series basically focuses on their relationships with one another, and uh, so that makes for really deep characters. Um, the story is great; definitely the strongest part of it. Um, it very starts gay. off as a typical magical girl anime. Yeah, it is very gay too. <laughs> Um, starts off as a typical magical girl anime, but then turns into a critique of liberalism and or, and or libertarianism. <laughs> um, so we can we can jump yes. off jump off right into that, I guess. Should we like try to summarize the story a little bit, or? Uh, I guess. So I mean, basically, uh, he- it's heavy Groundhog spoilers, Day. but it's it's a series from 2011 or whatever. So you know, <laughs> yeah, come <laughs> the on. Time is... If you haven't seen it by now, you're fucking dead already. Fucking living <laughs> under a rock ass. You're you're already fucking... a witch. <laughs> We're gonna take right. your grief seed. <laughs> Damn. A normal magical girl series, in which the magical girls have to defeat witches to protect people. And, and that's it. They earn currency <laughs> that allows them to survive in a monetary system developed by aliens. Yeah, it's like janitorial work, really. <laughs> I think it's more analogous to janitorial work. Um, <laughs> you know, cleaning up the streets of city whose name I forgot. It's made up. Right, it it's, a, it's an analogy for... Um, becoming cops and the entire job being uh, getting rid of homeless people. Yeah, and then realizing that the cops actually are the criminals all along. <laughs> it's very woke. Uh, okay, so... Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. If you don't earn enough currency, you become the witches. It, yeah, right. Like cops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so basically like, uh, yeah, the overarching plot is, um, the, uh, main character and her friend, uh, happen upon this world of, of witches, of, sorry, magical girls. And, uh, this alien cat thing starts, uh, following them around, trying to convince them to become magical girls. Um, and the friend does become one. Uh, they start going around with uh, this other th- this other magical girl, Mickey, uh, or Mommy. I don't fucking remember names. Uh, <laughs> mommy. Yeah, uh, that's it, Mommy. And uh, <laughs> uh, and then she spoilers is uh, killed in front of them, and so 
uh, they realize that like uh, the world of magical girls isn't like uh, all fairies and rainbows and stuff. And they later find out that the reason the alien cat is trying to convince them to become magical girls is because uh, they will eventually turn into witches, uh, which is when their despair reaches like a certain point. And they create this world around them that they try to lure people into. And uh, the transition from magical girl to witch uh, destroys a large amount of entropy. So the alien cat thing is uh, trying to fight the heat death of the universe by uh, torturing little girls, essentially. And uh, one of the major components of it is... Yeah, go ahead. Just the subtext of that is the fact that uh, pubescent girls are the most emotional beings in the universe. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> not sure if that's woke <laughs> or not. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing not, because I think, isn't the series creator a man? Oh, I fucking don't remember, actually. Gen um, Robuchi. Yeah. The point is, aliens are harvesting emotions. <laughs> yeah. Exactly like Monsters, Inc. Which is, yeah, except uh, real emotions like despair, not that fake shit like jump scares. Exactly, yeah. Because it, it's not um, a children's show. So one of the one of the major aspects of uh, this offer to become a magical girl is that um, QB, the alien cat, is trying to get them to basically sign onto a contract and but he's being very misleading about what the actual terms are so he does he obviously doesn't tell him like uh you'll turn into a witch eventually he just says like yeah you can uh have one wish granted and then uh you'll be a magical girl and you just have to fight witches all the time uh but the witches are the former magical girls so um once they um, uh, actually, it's pronounced Cube. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't want him to Very be confused important. with like, uh, you know, like a a boyfriend that's really into the QAnon conspiracy theories, because that would also be a Cube. Cube. It's an abbreviation of incubator. Oh, makes sense. Okay. So is Cube actually? Yeah. Um, Boyfriend very into QAnon, yes. <laughs> it's short for incubator, right? Because <laughs> um, he's into Q, right? And he's also mm-hmm. uh, into uh, masturbating. So, uh, anyway, he's really into Q. <laughs> uh, right. So once the main characters realize. Uh, hey, uh, this whole uh, magical girl thing is actually like really fucked up. Um, let's see. I kind of should have had a plot summary right in front of me. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, they try to figure out how they can get out of it, uh, out of the cycle or whatever. And uh, Mad- Madoka event- eventually figures out a way by... Um, breaking the cycle of which the the witch to or the magical girl to witch pipeline um 
And so instead of turning into witches, the magical girls just disappear. Uh, but as a consequence, she is taken out of existence. And they all live heavily, uh, happily ever after, except it's yep. bad and sucks. <laughs> That's the end of the story and the episode. Thanks for listening. Um, it's actually very much about liberalism because you see... <clears throat> Rebellion story exists. Right. <laughs> and the plot of Rebellion uh, story. So, uh, can you explain Rebellion story just a little bit? My girlfriend became God and she won't fuck me. <laughs> okay, so that's the that's basically the summary. <laughs> so Rebellion story, the plot is, right? So uh, at the end of Madoka Magica, Madoka creates the uh, Law of Cycles. Which isn't actually really herself. She doesn't really have to be involved. She could automate the whole process, but she's a hard service worker. So, basically, at the moment of peak despair, when uh, magical girls would normally become witches, uh, Madoka comes down from the heavens, or her one of her uh, co-workers, she has employees, she is actually a boss um, in this case. You know, well, then it's good that. that she doesn't exist anymore, I guess. Mm hmm. Uh, she is the uh, metaphor for all hierarchical uh, employment here. No. <laughs> She's also. But, uh, so, isn't yeah, she but, also a rich girl because she came from school in America or whatever at the beginning? Uh, you know, lower upper class, upper middle class. Uh, yeah. But um, the point is that this system doesn't actually, uh, it's kind of a compromise because the incubators, the cubae, if you will, uh, still benefit from this. They don't get that like big fucking like huge spike of energy you get with the uh, conversion of a magical girl to a witch. But they still get the uh, the energy of them fighting the witches. But rather than witches, they're nightmares. Which, uh, because obviously if they're going to be purified, they don't become witches anymore. So they need a new thing to fight, which is like the uh, realms created by the nightmares of people. Which is uh, uh -huh. interesting in itself. So exactly like Monsters But Inc. the, uh, yes, uh. The incubators obviously are totally cool with this in that they're not actually that cool with it. The system works, quote-unquote, but they would prefer the system to be more efficient because right. they're uh, unemotional aliens here to exploit you. And their exploitation is futile at this point, and they want it to make it capital. Um... Feudalism, so they start... feudalism, right? Not feudalism, yes. style. Okay. Yes. As in, like, the exploitation of feudalism was bad, but they got better and did capitalism at some point. Right. Uh, so before the magical that, girls needed... were villains, and now they're uh, proles. Yes. Um, basically... In order to do this uh, redevelopment, though, they need some R&D. Right. So, <laughs> Rebellion Story is about this R&D. 
they come up with this beautiful system where they uh, they trap the uh, the magic gem. Is that what they're called? Soul gem. Something like that. Soul gem. Yes, they they trap the soul gem in a sort of isolation field at the moment when the soul gem would normally, you know, become a witch or in this new alternate timeline would be purified and disappear from the universe entirely. Which is, by the way, what happens in a lot of cycles. It's not like they just get better. They just fucking die. (laughs) Way to go, Madoka. Dumbass. (laughs) But, uh... Because they isolate it, the law of cycles can't affect it, is the point. Right. So they, they put, made the, the, uh, they put uh, Homura in a, in a tokamak, and then they uh, utilize her for uh, fusion. Yes. They made the one mistake of using Homura, like literally the only person in the universe that understands <laughs> the law of cycles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why they don't understand the fact that uh, since Madoka is the manager of the Law of Cycles and Homura drags in uh, when she becomes a witch, kind of. We'll call it a pseudo-witch here. You know, she, she drags people into her little labyrinth and it was people she knew. And she knew Madoka, but nobody else does. But she just fits in. So they're all like, what the fuck's going on here? Who's this bitch? And yeah, that's It is kind of a weird choice because she's like the main driver of all the events of the show. Like, uh, we didn't didn't really mention that uh, Kubei's trying to persuade Madoka specifically through the whole series to become a magical girl because she has the highest potential uh power and we find out later the reason for that is homura's wit uh magical girl power is time travel and she has been going uh back in time in a big uh endless loop uh doing doing a groundhog day to try and prevent uh madoka from becoming a magical girl at all um and so each time uh, she travels back in time. She like orients reality around Madoka because it's all, you know, all the cycle is for Madoka, and uh, so that gives yeah. her like this immense power. Yeah, she has influence, right? Clout, if you will. <laughs> this clout, that shit real is funny. ontological clout, <laughs> right? <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, okay, because there is sort of the subtext throughout the whole show, the fact that the uh, Kyubei and Hamra have a weird relationship because Hamra will kill Kyubei every time she sees it. Uh, And Kyubei doesn't, A, understand why she keeps doing that, or B, understand why she even exists, because magical Mm -hmm. girls come from, you know, the contracts. I have the same relationship to cats, actually. Every time I see why one, I kill it, and it's like, uh, <laughs> why do you exist in this why universe? You, you shouldn't be here at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so obviously, if they only exist due to these contracts with the incubators, how the fuck did she even get there to begin with? 
as a magical girl. Right. That could be confusing. And uh, it's implied in Rebellion story and kind of like at the end of the show, I believe, that uh, the incubators don't really understand the law of cycles. But because uh, Homura is really fucking in love with Madoka, <laughs> will not stop fucking talking about her. She explains the entire law of cycles to the incubators. So she really set herself mm-hmm. up for this. So, Because the, they only really understand it because she explains it. She explains that Madoka exists. And then yeah. she like actually exists in the labyrinth. And so obviously they have to believe her at that point because, hey, this person's actually here. And and yeah. then uh, at some point, Homura realizes what's going on and everything collapses. Right. Yeah. They said that, um, I mean, they only knew that magical girls disappear at a certain point. And um, they started looking at Madoka because uh, she didn't exist in either the past or the future. And... Um, everyone seems to be like fine with her presence there. Uh, like she doesn't upset anything. So it's like clearly there's some relationship between the other girls and Madoka. Uh, or there was at some point and it no longer exists for some reason. And then, yeah, what you said. <laughs> but the uh, the real knack of the trick of this whole thing is that, uh, and what Homura realizes when Kyube is doing the uh, evil villain monologue, <laughs> is that they want to control Madoka because if she can purify magical girls, I mean, she has some control over the energy. Mm-hmm. Which makes, you know, it makes her a very good power source for uh, enthalpy, if you will. And obviously, this is, is going to piss of off. Yeah, uh, okay. obviously, this is going to piss off Homura, the uh, Madoka cultist. <laughs> so she right. uh, resigns herself to just fucking kill everyone. <laughs> Brilliant <laughs> goals, honestly. <laughs> but uh, uh... which which is. Which is actually a trick because what what she's actually doing is uh, deliberately pushing herself to become a witch, so the other magical girls there with her will defeat her as per you know the original system, and then she will be visited by Madoka in the Law of Cycles, and then drag her down from heaven and rewrite the entire universe. Into uh, a slightly better system. Oh yeah, ten out of ten. It's it's actually like (laughs) unironically a good way to do it, Uh, which is why I don't understand. A lot of people don't like. I've seen anyway a lot of people that are just like, why does Rebellion story exist? The story was finished and whatnot. If we just go by, you know, the incubators are the oppressor. Okay, the point is, if we go by uh, Cubay's reaction to the changes in the system. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, when Madoka rewrites the system, they're just kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you do that? But okay, I guess. 
they don't yeah. really get it, but it still works out for them. Whereas when Homura rewrites the system, uh, they they freak the fuck out and try to get out of there. <laughs> well, but she does see let um, them. She forces them back into the system. Madoka's version of the system was actually Pareto optimal, and so that's why they were okay with it. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, uh, Homura's system represents a a market distortion. And uh, those always result in, uh, you know, the road to serfdom and all that. So she's basically like a communist. Right. If you think about it, really, you know, so. Yeah. Well, like the main shift of her system is that she does drag Monica down from heaven and places right. her back on Earth. Yeah. Uh, as she wants no to make everyone equal. And you have to do that with force by dragging down great right. people to be on your inferior level just like Anne Rand said you know she warned us yeah uh which is uh like uh Sayaka gets really annoyed at this because you know Madoka's just a dumb bitch <laughs> real fu- real fucking pure hearted dits about <laughs> it uh so she doesn't really get what's going on but she's cool Whereas, like, Sayaka's just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Which is excellent. Uh, but, like, you know, because they're, they're no longer in the system. They're now, you know, back on Earth. And, like, the new system, uh, I don't really recall the details of it. But essentially, it's the, uh, you know... It's like when MLs say they're going to make anarchism happen. Uh huh. It that is what they, they mean. And then they do it. Kind of like the system's going to be complete. Yeah, the system's going to be completely collapsed at the end of the day. Is the point? Because, I see. Uh, yeah, it, it's some sort of transitory system she comes up with where the incubators uh, are no longer kind of in the position of exploiting the energy. They're now in like a it's a dictatorship of the magical girls. Yeah, uh, which is why uh, Homura calls herself a devil because now she's, she's just like the vanguard party. Yeah, she's creating this great new system where these low-level managers are kind of destroying the despair system. Right. So they still have to, like, fight, but when they do, they, like, actually remove the energy from the system. Some shit like that. Either way, it's no longer this weird-ass, oh, they get purified, then they die, so they don't have to suffer through being a witch. Uh-huh. So that's cool. Very I just woke. realized that uh Madoka being uh ditzy dumbass uh actually makes this even more like Monsters Inc. because she's just like boo, she's like a little kid, like a three year old child, and she single handedly uh changes the uh the system of gathering energy for an entire uh you know, alien civilization. Uh, just by just, like, bumbling her way through and making people fall in love with her. Pretty much. 
Which is why, of course, uh, Homura is the actual main character of the show. I, yeah, obviously definitely. of the movie. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Main character, if we take, you know, the meta plot rather than, like, the surface level plot. Like, she, she's the actual driver of it. And such. It's great. Yeah, I mean... Uh, so that's the plot. Monica doesn't really drive any of the action, really. She... She's like the cause for a lot of the events. Uh, yeah, Monica yeah, can only Homer drive the action everything. insofar as she can make a binary choice. Yeah, <laughs> but she does come up with a cool uh, new system for, uh, you know, having magical girls. I guess she's the uh, one living example of praxis without theory. <laughs> Um, so there's like, uh, I mean, you could think about this show probably for like a, you know, a doctoral thesis. <laughs> like there's so much to this show. Sure people have. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so we can start with the, like the main thing that I think both of us picked up on, uh, which is the critique of liberalism. Um, so I think like the main components of it, we we already mentioned the the contract aspect of it, where Cube uh, is like misrepresenting, uh, you know what he's offering uh, the girls. They get this one wish, and then they have to uh, fight witches, and then eventually become a witch. He only tells them the first two parts of that. Um, so it shows like. It's I mean, just because you sign a contract, world. just because something is theoretically consensual doesn't mean it actually is. You have to include, you know, some sort of power analysis right. for anything to make sense. I mean, there's the uh, kind of, uh, what would you call it? There's a school of thought with uh, consent, where consent is only truly given if it can be revoked. Yeah. Because, you know, giving someone a choice, uh, in this case, usually uh, in, under duress, mm -hmm. giving them that choice and then not giving them any way to back out of the consequences of it, uh, it's not really, you know, consenting. Because there's no way a living being can consent to an eternity of servitude. <laughs> and that's really what's going on here. Yeah, and if I remember... Uh, Homura actually like was really explicitly under duress when she agreed to it. She was like had you no know, moments to make the choice before she was about to die. Um, yeah, I think it was the same with uh, mommy, who was like literally in a mm -hmm. fucking car crash at the time. Okay, so uh, you know, cool, cool shit. Sayaka is the only you know, dumb one, I guess. That yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I think she was into a boy. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because little known fact, Homura's actual wish was to, to redo her first meeting with Madoka with the roles reversed. Right. So she, because she became a magical girl because she fell in love with Madoka. Mm -hmm. it, it was mommy who became because she was actually dying at the time 
does Madoka, uh, does Hamura ever actually get her wish fulfilled? Not really. <laughs> One thing that's like, actually kind of weird kind of. about the whole contract thing is that, like, the incubators don't really have an actual reason to, like, have a contract at all. I don't think, because, like, I mean, if you if you accept the offer, then, like, just de facto, there's no going back because they don't know how to turn magical girls back into regular girls. Um, right. Well, because, yeah, it is a very one-way system. They are literally no longer living beings. They are actually now soul gems. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, I guess it's just the, the incubator is, like culture or psychology that makes them do this because i mean cube uh, i recall like said like we could just we could just do it we could just like turn you into a magical girl without asking but we're nice enough to like make the offer to you and let you decide because i think it's very much like the culture of capitalism where mm. people don't work for money they work because they believe they need to work and the money is sort of just like a secondary motivation in that. It's the system by which it's tracked. It's not the system by which people are pushed to work. So, like, uh, because in order for a magical girl to become a witch, they need to be corrupted. And the way they're corrupted is partially through emotion, but also through uh, the use of their power. Right. So they actually need... A reason to use their power which is to fight witches whereas if they you know if they remain emotionally stable and don't put in any work they'll never become a witch so they need that motivation to you know actually fight so they need to believe that due to this contract you know as the price for my wish i need to contribute labor yeah and it kind of also means that they're I mean, the people most likely to become uh, magical girls are girls that are, you know, in despair for some other reason. Because otherwise, you know, why would they? Why would they take that off? Military recruitment. Yeah, it, it's a way out of a situation, but it also gives you direction in life, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, another thing we could talk about under the liberalism umbrella is the ethics of the incubators um they're basically just uh i mean they are what economists think humans are <laughs> they're just uh, completely governed by utilitarian rational ethics actors. yes exactly yeah uh totally rational no emotions uh they don't even understand the concept of emotions really <laughs> uh and uh yeah, their their whole thing is, you know, sure, you know, maybe you think it's wrong to, you know, torture a few little girls uh, on a planet far away, but, uh, you know, it, it keeps the lights on for all of uh, universal civilization. So uh, overall, it's obviously a lot better. And uh, none of the characters can really argue with that logic. Uh, probably because they're little girls, right. but... Also, because internally the uh, the idea of utilitarianism makes sense. So, unless you question its basic premises, then 
Yeah, basically the incubators. They're the ideal marketing employees where they don't have emotions themselves, but they're in, all of their work is dealing with the management of emotion. Right. And so it's very, you know, it's viewing kind of humanity as a resource, human resources, if you will. <laughs> and like, damn, read Yojo Sanki. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it is very utilitarian, and it is hard for them to argue against it. But like, there's also the question of this like intergalactic civilization is the one telling us that the universe is going to collapse if they don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, what talking if about. I had to guess who's going to be causing the most contribution to universal collapse, it'd probably be an intergalactic civilization. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, uh, is that per capita? Cause I bet if you look per capita, then probably the, probably the humans. Yeah. Per capita, it's actually uh, pubescent girls that are collapsing the universe. <laughs> it's all their emotions. Yeah, so like, uh, I guess they're if basically, they, they you know. It. Go ahead. If they, if they were just to budget and spend rationally, we'd all be better off. Exactly. Rational yeah. actors, etc. So I, I would say the main enemy of the of the series, the the main villain really is utilitarian ethics. And uh, uh, I I read a lot of TV tropes analysis of this show because there's like a huge giant page that goes into a bunch of different themes. So like oh, I imagine, yeah. Um, so one one person points out that the show is heavily influenced by Hegelian philosophy. Um, and so uh, what. Madoka does is complete the dialectic. So the, let's see, the thesis is uh, the magical girls are necessary to save the universe. The antithesis is the magical girl system is cruel and, you know, they're torturing little girls. Both of these points are valid. Uh, so Madoka synthesizes the two ideas by creating a, a new uh universe where the magical girls don't turn into witches that's what we call electoral politics <laughs> uh radical centrism i would say the most radical centrism you can be yeah, there you go <laughs> changing the entire universe Literally. so that both sides can be right <laughs> my ontology is actually centrist <laughs> fucking dialectic Damn. um <laughs> because Again, that's on the presumption that the utilitarian ethic is valid here. Right. Which, you know, maybe that's why, you know, Homura's like the devil in the end, because she just completely rejects that idea. Like, if the universe is going to collapse and the only way to stop it is to exploit people, then fucking let it happen. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like... I mean, the whole series, they're supposed to accept their mortality because they died at an even younger age, really, than regular humans by turning into witches. But then the whole purpose they're doing it for is so that 
you know, this intergalactic civilization doesn't have to deal with the death of the universe. Kind of fucked up. Martyrdom. And we all know how lit martyrdom is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one of the very last sections on the TV Tropes thing was from a Japanese professor, uh, Akiko Sugawa Shimada. Um, and they said in the original cultural context of Maho Shoujo anime, uh, the shoujo used symbols of American femininity lifted from shows like Bewitched to transform into new empowered forms as a negotiation with their daily roles as Japanese women. However, Madoka is distinguished from traditional Maho Shoujo by using classical European motifs by featuring Puella Magi who fight with actual weapons to claim territories. And um, they said Mami represents the idealized Hafu, which I think is like Hapa, kind of. It's like a similar term. Uh, who is othered by society and feels she is forced to deny her heart as a Japanese girl. Kyoko is the impoverished daughter of a Christian convert. Sakura is a... Sa Sakura? Sayaka is a working woman employed by an international company. And Homura is a neat-turned-military otaku who laments the loss of authentic Japanese spirit, who is represented by Madoka, who refuses to make a contract that only leads to the creation of a witch that drives modern-day people to commit suicides and join cults like Aum Shin Shinrikyo. Um, the other girls become Puella Magai, bound by their contracts, but only Madoka retains the heart of a Madoho Shoujo, which represents a healthy integration of Japanese and Western ideals. So I thought that was kind of interesting, like uh, discussing the origins of the magical girl genre. Yeah, that does definitely speak to something there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely like a you can definitely see a lot of. Uh, Western influences in this. I, I'm not really like. Uh, I watched Sailor Moon when I was like seven or eight. Um, like I still haven't seen it. Oh really? Okay. It used to be yeah. on. Um, yeah. It was on Cartoon Network. I think before even Toonami was around. And yeah. uh, the first person I, I mean, met uh, who was into anime was this this girl that went to my elementary school. Uh, who like she turned out to be like a really popular girl in high school, which is kind of weird. Uh, but we bond we both we both bonded over Sailor Moon because she was obsessed with it, but uh, she didn't know anyone else that was into it except for me. <laughs> it is a pretty common thing in like people that are into anime nowadays. Where like the first anime they ever saw was Sailor Moon. Have you ever watched uh, uh, Card Captor Sakura? No, I actually haven't seen oh, much okay. of the uh, Maho Shoujo genre. Gotcha. Uh, the first anime I ever watched was Girls Bravo. I have never even heard of that. It's because it's shit. Okay. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> uh, okay, oh. just based on the thumbnail, <laughs> when I Google it, yeah, it looks pretty bad. <laughs> and, and then I watched Fairy Tale. Uh, okay. it, it was just friends recommending me shows and like sophomore year of high school uh-huh uh, i guess you could count like oh the pokemon anime or whatever but yeah that, that barely counts i think yeah i think it only really counts if it actually like 
is an anime that will get you into anime. It isn't just like things that are already popular in America. Yeah, it has to be at least Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, let's see. The last thing that I have in the analysis part um, that we could touch on is uh, like religious themes, uh, which I was, this was like the main reason I was kind of hoping Chris would be on here because he knows he's a lot more familiar with religion than me. But I, I think you are fairly familiar too, right? Drag him back in. I don't know shit about religion. Ah, fuck. Okay. Well, uh, I, I read a lot of the stuff, so maybe I can do it justice. Um, so there's a lot of Buddhist themes in the show. Um, like, uh, samsara is, is a concept in Buddhism, which is like the cycle of suffering and rebirth and all that. And that is basically mm. what Homura is going through by, um, continuously traveling back in time to live out the same right. life with the same desires and suffering, um, being oh, unable to the, change uh, it. Just, uh, by the way, the, uh, the thing I did write about Madoka Magica was, you know, about the cyclicality because, you know, obviously a lot of absurdism comes from the myth of Sisyphus by, uh, mm -hmm. Camus, uh, but I, I was comparing it in that uh, Madoka Magica is actually a much more realistic example because uh, that cycle, uh, you know, in the myth of Sisyphus, the actual original myth, uh, Sisyphus uh, tries to save his wife or whatever from the gods and is punished by having to roll the boulder up the hill, etc., etc. And there's no way out of that for him. Which, that's, uh, you know, kind of a bad example to set for, you know, my, like, realistic philosophy. Because there are no gods in society, as much as, you know, people will venerate billionaires and such. But the, uh, the cycles we find ourselves in are human constructs. So, like, the cycle Homura's in, like... She's not being punished for trying to save Madoka. It is trying to save Madoka. Right. So like, you know, the, the cyclicality and whatnot is created by our own sort of attempts to work within a system that creates cycles. Which is why we should just burn the whole system down, which is what Homura ultimately does. So the, the Buddhist analysis is that the, the cycle exists because of desire essentially and yeah. yeah and um madoka kind of breaks the cycle by uh abandoning her desires in life and her identity and sacrificing herself i mean the sacrifice part is uh maybe more of a christian thing um there was there was a small argument in the on the tv tropes page about whether christianity really makes sense to analyze the show um but I think Buddhism definitely makes makes a lot of sense out of it, um, and they even said that uh, there's some like kind of explicit references to Buddhism. Um, do do do. Where is it? Um, like Kubei explicitly uh, mentions karma, and uh, sorry, 
I'm just going to go straight to the page. <laughs> Not to get all anarchist anthropology on it. Uh-huh. But uh, again, if we view the incubators as sort of the state here, yeah, then it would make sense that they use sort of uh, religious analogies to justify their system. Yeah. Because, you know, that has historically happened IRL very frequently until, like, you know, modern stuff, where in order to establish, you know, kind of a divine right and such, the explanation that, like, you need to serve in order to create a system that works, kind of, and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't, like, um, I'm not, again, I'm not very knowledgeable on religion, but, I mean, it seems to me that the main purpose of religion in history is... um kind of to establish state legitimacy. I mean, like the, one of the first things that, uh, the, one of the first stages of colonialism was always establishing a mission in the place that you want to colonize, getting them on board with Christianity and destroying their cultural ties to their and making them believe in the, you know, the sun God of, uh, Christianity. I mean, to give ourselves an out from sounding like edgy atheists here, uh, <laughs> this doesn't invalidate religion at all. Um, I, I, like, a lot of atheists will try to use that to invalidate religion. Like, uh, the fact that it's used for a lot of social control. But that doesn't... It, something being used in one way doesn't make it universally that... Um, I know there is some kind of confusion over the exact origins of a lot of religion, a significant amount of them were established uh, by states. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of them, you know, sort of split off into stateless groups and such, which, you know, could be used as sort of a system to, it's much easier to convert than to introduce. So, but, you know, none of that really invalidates the spirituality of religion. Like, it could have been developed purely to establish control, but it can still be used to sort of find meaning in life. Yeah. I mean, I've always been an edgy atheist. I was like, uh, you know, one of the dipshits like, uh, arguing about evolution in like 2004 online. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, uh, for me, uh, like philosophy, which is part of, like there's religious philosophy and philosophy's fine, and I think that's the part where you find meaning. But um, I I still think the whole um, believing in God thing is silly, and um, unless someone convinces me otherwise, Make I it still think that argument. religion uh-huh. is pretty statist. <laughs> yeah. I just think that ontologically speaking, the existence of a God doesn't really kind of, there's no way to prove or disprove it logically or scientifically. It's more of an interpretation. Yeah. And it kind of doesn't matter because I mean, in in a lot of the ways that God is framed, it's like, okay, you can't, uh, there's no way to observe him and there's no way to know if something that's happening is because of God or not. And uh, so like, if that's the case, then like, who gives a shit if God exists or not? It doesn't matter. <laughs> like it makes, 
it, it doesn't add oh, to yeah. knowledge at all. <laughs> and, like, you know, it's kind of like, it's the whole sort of idea of the separation of, like, church and religion, or the dichotomization there. Because uh-huh. yeah, there's a, a church gives you, I mean, it gives you community at the cost of sort of following a specific rule, whereas religion is more, it's a personal experience and whatnot. But, you know, of course, as we all know, I follow sort of Gadillian logic, and Gadell's whole thing was the fact that, like, you cannot, the existence of God is an axiomatic belief. It, it doesn't affect logic in any way. It cannot be proven or disproven logically. It is a personal belief. Like, we can say, say, Homero views Madaka as a god, uh-huh. or vice versa. That doesn't change the system in any way. This is like, say, the law of cycles. You could view the law of cycles as God, but it's got the icon of Madaka, which can be then separated from it. The physical existence of Madaka doesn't invalidate or validate the law of cycles. The law still exists, and you could view the law of cycles as God. Kind of like the same way we can view sort of physical laws in the universe as a sort of god as it governs the universe it creates the universe even mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of stuff like that yeah, that's the sort of theology i'm interested in personally where it's not it's not is christianity a real thing or not it's the can one believe in a god without it really meaning anything Hmm. karma <laughs> well I'm too dumb on that topic to contribute much I think <laughs> I wasted my years as an atheist not thinking about the actually interesting parts of religion just thinking about the dumb stupid shit so well I grew up as an anarchist in a Lutheran church so <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, um, yeah. So one of the other Buddhist themes is like, uh, like throughout the series, a a lot of the girls desires are like the cause of the, the problems that they face. Um, I think Sayaka is probably the best example of that. Um, like she, uh, desires to, uh, fix, What's his fuck? I don't know the guy's name. The guy with the fucked up hands. This irrelevant side character. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so she thinks that uh, once that happens, uh, you know, they'll live happily ever after or whatever. And then she just has to fight witches on the side. But it turns out uh, he's uh, too oblivious and just wants to, he just wants to jam with his friends, you know? Uh, so, right. so she ends which, up. Which, of course, you know, yeah, I've never liked that analysis of the show purely because, you know, like, again, anarchist. Uh, I don't think it's their desires that are causing the suffering. They they can desire that all they want. Like, she always wanted him to be healed. That never caused her any problems until, you know, these little fucking cats came along and were like, well, we can solve your problem at the cost of your soul. It's well. It sounds like you're just proving that uh, Buddhism is statist as well. <laughs> well, I mean, 
uh, because again, the majority of my exposure to these sorts of stories is Christian, but you get you know, a lot of that, like selling your soul to the devil thing, mm-hmm. which is used to sort of say like, oh, you should get over worldly desires, you know, from people that are making thousands of dollars off of telling you this. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's sort of, this isn't like the problem here isn't your worldly desires. It's that someone's going to come along and exploit them. It's yeah. usually, you know, but you it's pretty fucked to... up for the law of cycles to profit off of her image as well, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good branding um... on the law of cycles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I I mean Yeah, like I said, I'm not I'm not too great on religion, so I I can't get too much more into the the Buddhist aspects. Um, I mean, there's the obvious um, Madhika escapes the karmic cycle. Uh, she becomes the, the Bodhisattva, which is like a, a, a human who's, a, who's reached enlightenment uh, or is about to reach enlightenment, but uh, stays like on earth in order to help others uh, reach it as well. Um, So she does that before becoming the law of cycles, which is like actual Nirvana and actual enlightenment. Yeah. Um, I I can see that in a sense. But Um, that makes sense if we view it as a, you know, like biblical allegory, mm-hmm. where uh, a lot of stories use biblical allegory, and a lot of people are really dumb when it comes to biblical allegory because they take it literal. Like, you know, stories of angels and devils aren't actually about literal angels and devils; they're allegorical. Like, even in uh, not to piss off any Christians listening, if we haven't already, uh, a lot of biblical stories and whatnot are allegorical in that same sense where it's not a literal devil going around tempting people. It's the idea of temptation is presented by. So, you know, if you view the story allegorically, then sort of the religious analyses make more sense. Right. Just like the story of Adam and Eve is an allegory for why it's bad to eat fruit actually an allegory for uh, the justification of the creation of states, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> um, Literally cursed at oil fields. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, I don't have anything else on the show, do you? It's a good show. 10 out of 10. Best anime. Watch it or die. Yeah, it is very good. I was surprised. Um... If you're wondering where to find it, it, I found it on Hulu. Um, so you can watch it there, or you can just torrent it. Uh, uh, so since we talked about contracts in the context of the show, I thought we could talk a little bit about it um, in the context of the real world. Um, so, I mean, just to connect the two, I, I think I would say uh, if any of the girls could afford a lawyer... Before they were turned into witches, 
uh, a judge would probably say the contract they made with Cubay was uh, unconscionable, and uh, they would have ordered him to turn them back into normal girls, and that that would have been the end of the series. I think you know they did all this crazy magic shit. Lawyer, but, up I mean, if they tomorrow. just gotten a good lawyer, yeah, then they could have avoided all that stuff. Right. But I guess in the end, they did no, set a, I, I they, they set a precedent. Yeah. You know, they they created that that common law. Uh, system of the law of cycles. So, they, <laughs> but uh, I, I will say, uh, as with a lot of contracts in the real world, uh, that that wouldn't necessarily be the case because uh, knowledge of the consequences of the system was sort of uh, proprietary. Even uh-huh. legal structures wouldn't have knowledge of the full consequence. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, there are, like, in real contract law, there is, like, a lot of stuff about, like, unequal bargaining power. Um, in, in the British system, it's called, like, unequal bargaining power. In the, in the U.S. system, it's called, like, an unconscionable contract. Um, but for some reason, uh, it doesn't apply to all employment contracts and all leases, uh, not really sure what that's about. Anyway, it's probably fine. So, uh, that's good. <laughs> uh, I mean, most of, most of the stuff with, uh, unconscionability applies to like, uh, transactions between businesses. Like one of the ones I read was, um, this, uh, company contracted, I think it was Mitsubishi or some Japanese company to, uh, make ships for them. And then the value of the U S dollar uh, went all wacky, and so it would have been way more expensive for the Japanese company to produce the ships. So they said, like, uh, oh, we'll, we'll make them for you if you pay a lot more money. And uh, they agreed to it in the moment because they didn't want to, like, ruin their own contracts. But then later they took them to court, and the court ruled, like, yeah, that was actually uh, duress because uh, you didn't really offer them, like, a, reason- a reasonable choice. Um of whether or not to pay the extra fees. Um, so it's that kind of thing. That's like a lot of the right. unequal bargaining law. Does this apply to M and a, I'm sure it does because that's b- between businesses. <laughs> I didn't get a, a lot into it because I mean, like a lot of that shit is really boring and verbose. Mm-hmm. So indeed. Um, but I did find out, um, I found some interesting stuff about contracts. So one of the things that was crazy to me is uh, this thing about K-pop idols. Um, I was looking for slave contract, like I googled slave contract, and that article came up. And I thought it was weird at first because it showed the Korean translation of the phrase, and only that, <laughs> like only the Korean translation. So I was like, that's strange. I wonder why they're translating it just into Korean. Uh, it turns out that uh that page is about a type of contract that was uh offered to uh aspiring k-pop idols um so they would get girls as young as uh 12 years old to sign contracts that make them trainees and for uh 10 years or longer they would be groomed into pop stars and they would basically like live in a compound where they would be 
you know, trained um, to, I mean, it's basically like going into the military. It's like they're, they're trained to sing and dance um, and their managers control what they eat, uh, who they talk to, how they behave and all that stuff. And uh, they put them in debt for it. So like uh, even when they like debut as performers, they don't make money for a long time because they owe them for all the singing lessons and housing and all that shit. Um, right. Well, that happens. Uh, there's a lot of contracts like that in the U.S. too. They're not, you know, as extreme, but you know, with like a, which I'm sure you've seen a bunch of those. I mean, that's basically in, like, what student debt is, right? Right. I mean, like, there's a lot of like training programs where you don't have to pay for the program, but you're in debt to them right. for the program. So, like, it comes out of your wages, which you know, yeah, it's college. a. Because they have contracts with the companies, it's a bit more direct than college, but it's the same basic concept of in order to acquire wages that you require to live, you actually have to go through a system that indebts you and such. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, obviously rent is like a further like abstraction of this and the fact that you know in order to live in a society you need to pay rents and fees and whatnot literally just to exist and in order to pay off those you need wages and such so it's it, it, you know abstracts to extreme levels but you know there, there's no sort of way out on any of that legally speaking so, uh, but of course, as we know, legality does not equal morality. So if the incubators got themselves some corporate lawyers, though, they could probably still justify this whole system. <laughs> it would be a, an undue fiduciary burden on them to not torture uh, little girls. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, all legal systems are backed by uh, sort of government power. And mm -hmm. I imagine, again, intergalactic civilization probably has a significant amount more political power than our little isolationist planet. I don't know. You know, our, our judges, uh, some of our judges have some pretty powerful wigs that they wear. And uh, the robes as well, I think, are very powerful. So, Cosmically so. Um. So let's see another uh, thing that I found was uh, I was looking for like uh, like how contracts were used in like uh, colonialism, and uh, I was doing all this stuff at the last second uh, because I <laughs> uh, did a bad job of uh, putting aside time to work on the notes. But uh, I did find this article on uh, social contracts and colonialism, and. Uh, they talk about how, like, the idea of the social contract actually, like, uh, came after, like, the reality of social contracts. Uh, so they talk about the, the Mayflower Compact and some other similar uh, things where, um, you know, these, these settlers uh, sign a contract with, uh, with God and... Uh, themselves to form a body politic um, and uh, the article the author says uh, the formation of the social contract does not mark 
the transition of an unorganized people into a civil society, as goes the standard interpretation, but a people's arrival in a strange and seemingly hostile land rescripted as an empty place. So, like, all these social contracts were created in places that were about to be settled. And so it was sort of like a legitimizing their, like, takeover of it as, like, you know, this this place is empty and now we're going to create a society here as opposed to, you know, there's a society here that we're going to just push out of our way and right. Like uh, the uh, legal establishment of like municipalities and whatnot, where you're given control over land without the say of the people there. Um, Right. That goes kind of back to like medieval era, doesn't it? With like, what did you call them, like, lords and such? Or they're legally given control of land, and, like, this all happens in sort of a system that has, you know, no grounding. As in, like, the people there don't really have any say in the politics that affect them. It's just straight up, like, oh, the land you stand on is now given to someone else, and they run you. Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I guess we already kind of know one of the major uses of contracts uh, with colonialism, which is the indentured servants that were taken to the Americas, uh, where they were offered uh, to work for a certain period for their as payment for their trip. And in a lot of cases, uh, you know, they were kind of misled about the the circumstances of you know what what life would be like uh, once they get to the place where they have to work but they're they're already stuck there so they they can't just go back um so i mean like once they sign the contract they're like they're forced into it yes um so the last thing i had was uh actually some like I think it's not like new news, but there was like a recent, there were recent updates about it. Um, there's this thing with uh, Pornhub and this channel that they had on there called Girls Do Porn. And uh, that channel was charged with sex trafficking. And the, I mean, the, st- the whole story is pretty uh, grisly. Uh, basically, like, young girls some some as young as 15 uh were uh who were like financially burdened uh responded to craigslist ads uh for like swimsuit modeling and uh when they got there uh these uh slimy lawyers had them sign like really thick complicated contracts and like pressured them to do so and uh, then it turned out they were actually filming uh, porn. Um, in some cases, they told the girls that it would be porn, but it, that it would be like 30 minutes of filming and that their name wouldn't be uh, attached to it and that it would be for like private collectors in Australia or something like that. Uh, but it was all, right. all bullshit. Um, they just took it and they uploaded it to Pornhub to their Girls Do Porn channel and had their like legal names attached to it. So like a lot of girl, a lot of women got their lives destroyed by this uh, company. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's Not good. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, I mean like uh Pornhub was hosting it for like uh they there was some video of like a fi- a 15-year-old girl that they had on the site for like actually no it was it was like dozens of videos for like a year and uh the girl turned out to be like missing um like the whole time that she was like filming these things um right. actually my i can't remember if i'm like muddling details that it might be separate from the girls do porn thing but i i do remember that it was it was definitely Pornhub that was hosting the stuff and like this this girl had basically been kidnapped for like a year to uh do child porn that they were hosting on their servers for a very long time. And I mean there's no like uh it's not clear that they're gonna have any have any consequences for this because it's it's this channel that's being charged and not Pornhub in connection to it. Um Right, which is, oh, like, you hear stuff about, like, aiding and abetting, but, like, are they, do they, how many layers of legal protection do they have from, like, defending themselves from that kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I know that they're, like, they're supposed to be, like, a huge company, like, they own, like, a ton of the porn sites, you know, it's like the the big corporation of the porno industry. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure they have some pretty powerful and skeezy lawyers. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to escape a uh, charge of hosting child porn for a year on their site. Uh, I feel like at the very least that that'll get them into some trouble justifiably yeah. so and like yeah yeah uh, contracts are bad yes uh, <laughs> and like i mean we were saying earlier like methodologies aren't necessarily you know at fault for the way that they're used but contracts like purely exist so that people can do that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, so I, like, what what purpose is there besides, like, you know, forcing people to keep terms that they can't necessarily... Right, know, it's, it's like social debt, kind of. Like, yeah. Rather than saying that you owe someone something for something, it's like you've signed a contract saying you owe... And it can be anything from like labor to like lifestyles, even. Just, yeah, and yeah, yeah. A, a lot of them too are. Uh, there's there's this concept called frog boiling, which is where you uh, slowly make co- changes to the contract over time um, to kind to to kind of sneak in uh, provisions that the person wouldn't agree to. Right. Um, yeah. Um, God, I hate to end on <laughs> such a depressing note, but <laughs> that's the end of my notes. <laughs> well, I mean, the world's depressing like that. It is depressing. We, um, we kind of 
burning shit down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure there's another solution than that. Alright, like, like, there's no legal means to kind of make it so contracts are never exploitative because law requires contracts and contracts are almost always exploitative. Right. Unless it's between uh, your corporation and another corporation and then you're just exploiting a third fine, party. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, that's yeah, cool. as long as you're not exploiting each other, that's fine. Right. Yeah, because it's like that... Because... Uh, Bring back mergers and acquisitions. You know, it's two companies agree to do something, and like that can completely invalidate even the contracts that do protect employees. Because, well, that was a contract between you and a company that no longer exists. Yeah. Yeah, th- there is definitely some of that. Um, I worked for Caribou when it was acquired by um, some fucking Dutch private equity like holding company or whatever. Oh. Um, and uh, they basically had us like sign new employment contracts when they transitioned the company to uh, being a different company. Yeah, when my employer was acquired, we basically had to reapply to our own jobs. Yeah, fortunately, they didn't have us reapply to our own jobs, but um, they did, like, say, these are the Well, I mean, there was, like, like, they weren't going to, like, not hire us, but it was still, like, legally speaking, a completely distinct contract. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah. Because it is, you know, the whole buying a company then firing all the employees is very difficult when you actually want the company to be still running when you acquire it purely because it's an active service kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got lucky in that, but it's not like you can just, you know, up and get a new job because like, Oh, this one's getting acquired. And I'm like, yeah, I just got this job. I, <laughs> this was the only job I could get. And, you know, I was okay with that because, you know, the terms of this contract were, you know, viable for my situation. But now, my situation is dictated by this contract. It's fucked up. Yeah, fuck contracts. What a load of bullshit. contracts. So, I guess, just so we don't end on a depressing note, uh, I will say that I uh, finally am depressed enough to start watching Evangelion. Uh, So I'm, I'm on episode 11, I think. Um, so I, I will be doing an episode on that soon, but I, I gotta say early impression, uh, I've, I tried watching it when I was, I think like 18 or 19, uh, and, uh, I stopped around episode 10. So I, I have just, I've just passed the point where I was when I was 18 years old <laughs> and, uh, this shit is boring, yo. Like, uh, the first eight episodes were f- some doo-doo, I think, um, I'm sure it was much better in the 90s because it was kind of like... Yeah. The, it, it aims for that sort of cinematic depressiveness, which, you know, works when you're keeping up with, like, modern trends because you're not constantly thinking, like, oh, this is just, like... 
I'm staring at a watercolor. Was it the first, uh, I don't know if you know this, was it the first subverted genre anime? Because that might have been, like, part of why it's boring. It's like they're kind of exploring new territory. Kind of, maybe. Oh, my nose is bleeding. Um, Ooh. It's, uh, uh, I think, like Madoka Magica, the idea of it being a genre subversion isn't really, like, its key point. Mm-hmm. Where, like, it is technically a subversion of mecha anime, but also, like, where it sort of... Because Madoka Magica is subverting the magical girl thing in that, like, well, yeah, any magical girl in that situation is actually being exploited, where this is, like, you know, like, yeah, but for mechas to exist like that, some shit's got to be going on. Right. So. Um, yeah. It's a lot more existential, though, which I think is kind of, because the entire thing is literally just, like, the author trying to express depression somehow. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, which is why um, a lot of people hate the original ending because it's all about self acceptance and shit. Yeah, fuck that that positive positivity shit. <laughs> oh, it'll be good when you get around to end of Evangelion because that's literally a movie that exists purely because people didn't like the original ending. <laughs> So uh, a lot of I don't know, I've seen a lot of people critique like different things of like the whole like well this is like we're not supposed to you know see ourselves in Shinji because he's being a piece of shit and like no you are Shinji this entire thing is mocking the fans for being pieces of shit <laughs> like the well known uh, part where he uh, jacks off to Komatosa because like if I recall correctly supposed to be sort of a jab at people for making like lewd fan art of Asuka who is like a teenager girl come on yeah 14 yeah so it's yeah it's that kind of thing it's it makes more sense in context and it's very good for that Mm -hmm. um oh I I did think of one more thing we could we could touch on it which is uh just what we were looking at on Twitter before we like before we started where uh the the fight is coming up again of like uh oh Japanese stuff is so much better because they don't get political in it. But oh, yeah, that, <laughs> it's not that. that it's not political, it's just that you're a fucking idiot and don't don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> well yeah, like uh there was an episode of Evangelion that had to be uh completely redone like right like it aired because it too close was that sarin gas i don't think that was sarin gas you know like oh the, yeah 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 that was sarin gas attack yep. happened to the night yeah that, that was, was the cult that i mentioned there, earlier the amu uh amu shin rikyo yeah yeah there one of the episodes basically mirrored that attack and they were like yeah we can't do that damn like that's yeah context exists for these things uh the fact that like people are more willing to look at nuance in foreign things because they go in with the assumption that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. 
so they seek to understand. Whereas with things that you already know the political context for, you assume you understand. And so when you do understand, you go like, well, this creator is an SJW because uh, they're saying this political thing I disagree with. Like, yeah, and there's the it's, distance it's like, of like yeah. you're not involved in either of the groups that are all like on the side right. of the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the Yojo Senki thing where it's like volumes upon volumes of critiques on uh, human resources and corporate culture. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's just like the, oh, Nazis. I like those. <laughs> like, because the. And then they try to do the whole, like, well, in Japan, Nazis aren't viewed as a bad thing because World War II alliance and blah, blah, blah. Like, people in Germany, the thing that was literally the Nazis, think the Nazis were bad. I'm pretty sure Japan <laughs> could kind of... Because it's, uh, you know, it, it's just this idea of, like... I mean, they think that because they're, they're like, uh, you know, ethnically homogeneous in Japan, that they are also ideologically homogeneous. Right. Here's the thing. They're only ethnically homogeneous because you've never heard of any of the other ethnicities <laughs> because they don't tell you about them because they're <laughs> trying so hard to be homogeneous. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's the thing, though. Is like The entire critique of human resources relies on the fact that you already know Nazis are bad. <laughs> because it's a basically... I guess the crux of it is a comparison between imperialist genocidal regimes and corporations and the way they view humans <laughs> and, and treat them in general. And it's just like, well, if you thought that was good, then I guess you'll have no problem with corporations, which is true. They, they don't. So fair play. Yeah. Another interesting, uh, political theme uh in an anime that i recently watched was uh king on ashura which is a it's just a fight anime but the whole thing driving the fights is um businesses trying to overpower each other and so like uh they they establish this system where instead of like you know hiring mercenaries to like just kill their enemies uh they do these like one-on-one -on -one tournament fights and so they uh, they settle their business disp disputes that way. So like like literally when the fighters are about to enter the ring, they're like, you know, this is Omu. He's uh, uh, he uses this style of fighting, and uh, this this is the amount in yen of the assets that he's acquired by winning fights. They do that for every single competitor. <laughs> um, yeah. I would I, highly um... recommend that show too. It was a really entertaining watch. I recently started watching Initial D, finally. Nice. Um, I didn't get very far so far. Uh, I got distracted by watching Pokutachi wa Benkyo ga Dekanai because it's uh, newer <laughs> and not in 4.3. <laughs> and I need that uh, sweet sweet fan service to get myself through the fact that I kind of just up and moved to LA. <laughs> How are things over uh, there, by the way? How are you well, liking it so far? different. Yeah. Uh, I like public transit, and I like there being things. 
<laughs> I feel like I'm much more capable of not just having to order everything I actually need on Amazon now because nice. there's actually stores that sell things. Yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> Including manga. Yeah. Little Tokyo is pretty lit. <laughs> and not just because uh, weeb shit. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is the other thing about like not understanding like other cultures and whatnot. Um, with, like weebs and whatnot is the fact that like they don't understand how political something is because they don't not, like put any effort into understanding the culture it comes from. It's like the moment you like start learning Japanese and start interacting with like people that just like moved here from Japan and whatnot, the less you care about like anime and stuff in regards to Japan, the more it's like, you know, oh, like this food's pretty good, you know, the way they do this is pretty good, and like they're people too, my dude. <laughs> yeah, they also have disagreements with each other. Cake wild <laughs> imagine like you know that a political land of tokyo japan would never have you know marches through the streets calling for the uh, removal of their crypto fascist president <laughs> prime minister whatever you know they wouldn't be flying antifa flags or uh you know ancom flags they wouldn't do any of that because that's a different culture, and they are okay with fascism there because the Nazis were allied with them in World War Two. Yeah, I think another reason they don't have a lot of uh, conflict over there is because, um, mostly because of anime, actually, uh, there's a lot more acceptance of girls with blue hair. And so that, that kind of removes a lot of the um, impetus for fascists to organize. Ethnic tensions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah uh it's the point is fuck weebs fuck orientalism yeah uh kind of learn to accept different cultures and if you're going to consume their media don't critique it based on your own cultural influence i mean you can but like don't make that your basis yeah yeah a lot of the the thematic analysis that I read it, and the, the absurdist one especially um, like they don't necessarily know the same philosophy as you because they're not steeped in western philosophy at all times so it might right. not apply like, I mean, necessarily sometimes it does yeah. but uh, yeah obviously there's a lot of western motifs yeah but like that doesn't mean that it's like you know no game no life is written by a uh, brazilian man that moved to japan <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> judge that based on brazilian culture i don't know <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh i think it might uh the manga for no game no life i think might actually be like the only manga to ever be written by non-native Japanese person to actually do well. Hmm. Fun fact. I wonder if that includes like Koreans and uh, Chinese people. Not sure. Um, I just read that somewhere a few days ago. 
But yeah, um, if you are going to analyze anime, which I would recommend because I honestly I think anime is more political than most Western shows. Um, right. One of these days we got to do a thing on slavery and isekai. Okay, that sounds good. I don't know the connection because I have only watched. I've only really watched like two isekai. I think. Uh, There's uh, a lot of them. Uh, I don't. Know, I really like isekai because uh, a lot of people try to do that whole thing of like, well, it's fiction, so like you can expect like cultural differences from reality and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There's isekai like. The entire thing is basically breaking the fourth wall in a cultural thing because it's people from your cultural context. Right. In that one. But there's a lot of ones where, you know, the world they transport to is, you know, they have slavery there. And, like, the way they view it is, I think, very important. Okay. That sounds cool. In a lot of ones, it's treated as, like, a, you know, the typical right-wing political analysis of media where they're like oh you know it's okay like if they have slavery then that's cool yeah that's just how things were back then you know you can't critique right. it from but, your perspective right and a lot of them have the whole like uh sort of savior kind of thing uh, i forget what the term is but you know like the i freed these people and they just choose to follow me everywhere <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah. So there's a lot to be said there. But. Basically, uh, if you're going to be a fan, uh, be a good fan and think about the stuff that you're watching because uh, it has themes and such. Uh, so read the source material. If you're not reading the source material, you're not a fan whatsoever. <laughs> um, I remember this. I was looking for fire. like analyses of Madoka Magica earlier to, you know, fill in the notes and. Uh, the top voted uh, Reddit comment on what are the themes of Madoka Magica? I don't know if I still have it open, but it was basically like, uh, you know, having friends is good and uh, believe in the power of love and shit like that. It's like, what is that? Uh, okay, sure. That's what the show is about. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is your average Maho Shoujo. <laughs> Yeah, but, but no, crazy. seriously, do like uh, read and specifically buy the uh, source material because uh, as much as you know, in here in America we have that whole thing of like, I guess I can't say too much on this because I don't know like, that much about Japanese industry, but adaptations here are adaptations, right? Like the Harry Potter movies are meant to be watched as the Harry Potter movies. You don't have to read the books. Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy the books. But a lot of anime are basically promos, which is why, you know, people often go on about, like, how they lose money making anime and whatnot. Like, that's because it's it's an ad. It's it's never going to get a second season because it did what it was meant to do, which was get people to buy the light novel. Interesting. I didn't know that. And usually the light novels are better, story-wise. The Damn it. Shit, I'm not trying to read that's... books, man. <laughs> it's not something read I'm interested books. in. <laughs> uh, as much as... Right. Oh, there's... Also, there's that whole cultural thing where like everyone pretends that like nobody reads books these days. <laughs> More books are being sold now than ever. Come on. <laughs> I don't know if that's per capita. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have any good. We don't have good uh, book statistic database access, so we can't just look that up offhand. Right. Obviously, it's okay just to watch Madoka Magica and Evangelion because those are original animes. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, have fun. Okay. Uh, well, I think we can wrap it up there. Um, thank you for. <laughs> I've said my on. bit. Let's go. <laughs> uh, do you have anything you want to promote? Thank you for having me. Uh, give me money so I don't <laughs> die. <laughs> yes, please give Una money so he doesn't die. That's. I think that's a great plug. <laughs> yes. Uh, that. that- Okay. Uh, well, uh, yeah, bye. <laughs> Wait, listen to my podcast. <laughs> okay. And it's called? Uh, Goth Angel Sinners. Uh, <laughs> uh, when, when is your um, Kill La Kill episode going to be done? <laughs> um... um... Sometime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> well, the first the first three episodes are good. Uh, I recommend it strongly. So, check it out. Yes. And eventually, the Kill La Kill episode will be good as well. All right. I'm sure it will. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm not going to bother plugging anything. Uh, for myself so that's it follow yourself on twitter (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right